Why church? Why do we do church? I want us to look at the biblical definition and understand uh, we're going to look at the passage where the church is first mentioned, at least in the New Testament sense, by Christ. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 16, a very familiar passage of Scripture, beginning with verse 13 through verse 20. And as we look at this passage, I think it's just a good reminder for us uh, the purpose of church and why we are here. Uh, certainly it's to worship, uh, but it's also to make impact within the world. It, there's a declaration that Christ has given us to make unto the world. What's interesting is many of you may not know this, uh, but uh, almost nine years ago, it'll be nine years in September, nine years ago, uh, we started our church and the name of our church uh, was what? Who remembers what the name of our church was? None of you, because you weren't here. That's right. Uh, Jamie, you were here. What was it? The church at Lantana. That's right. There were there. Uh, we were so big, we could all fit in my house, okay? And um, then we got too big for my house, and we went to an, to another house in the neighborhood. And that's where we started meeting, and then we met in Razor Elementary. And we met there for a year, and then we found out we were going to have to leave because Mr., you know, brilliant businessman forgot to ask how long we could stay. Uh, and they let me know a couple of weeks before it was time to leave that it was a year that you get to stay. And so <clears throat> that kind of sent us into a minor frizzy. We had to find a place, and we ended up finding another school over in Louisville that we could go to. And, um, but leaving Lantana meant, and now we're going to be in Highland Village, which we don't know that we're going to stay. All we know is we're going to have to leave there because you can only stay there two years unless you have property and a plan you can show them. Then you can have three years. So we know we're not going to be there permanently either. So not knowing where we would be, we said, you know, we got to come up with another name. It, it was interesting. A couple of people thought we still should keep the name Church at Lantana, even though we'd be in Highland Village. It just, I just thought that was kind of comical, but nevertheless, uh, we needed to come up with a name, and and one of our folks, uh, we began to look at names, and we got, we did, matter of fact, we did a little survey within the church, and we said, you know, what do you think best defines us as a church? And we had all these names come back, and we kept seeing the name Rock come up, and I personally didn't want to use the name Rock, uh, because I was worried about, there were some other churches at the time who had just had uh, some uh, a real problem who had the name Rock, and I didn't want to be identified uh, with that church, uh, but it kept coming up. And we were in a leadership meeting, and uh, Beth Chapin, I think you're in here, I, th- I think I saw Beth, Beth, and we were talking about what's the point of our church, and this term rock keeps coming up. She goes, what about rock point? And I go, rock point? And I began to think about it, and we began to look at it, and Matthew 16, Jesus makes this statement, upon this rock I'll build my church. So the whole point of our church is the rock of Christ, the message of Christ of which we are to proclaim. And so that's actually how the name Rock Point came about. Um, we actually didn't get it out of a cool book or anything. Now you say, why'd you put the little E on the end of it? it? It wasn't actually to be cool. It was because Rock Point without an E was already taken on the website. Okay. And so we, we, <laughs> that's where it came from. R-O-P-C-K, you know, P-O-I-N-T dot com and dot org were already taken. So we go, okay, well, let's put an E on the end of this joker. And uh, so that's, that's how it all happened. You're probably wondering, they're so cool. No, we really weren't that cool. Uh, so that's kind of how the name Rock Point. So when I go back to the purpose of our church, the name of our church, I go back to this text because reading through this text is what convinced me that that was a good name for our church. You know, um, there's a creed that's given that we read each, not each week, but we read a lot of weeks, particularly during the Eastern Christmas 
season called the Apostles' Creed. And by the way, you've heard me say this before, we read the oldest creed that's available to us that was a third century creed, uh, Rufinius Creed, who translated and uh, it, it, many of them would take it back all the way to uh, 100 A.D. Uh, many would say that it was being recited as early as then. So that's the one we use. Now, there, there are modern creeds that came along the 7th, 8th, 9th century uh, that most churches use. But we just use the oldest one, not there's a, not a right or wrong. We just decided to use the oldest creed. And uh, we only change one word in this creed. And it's we just use the word the church instead of the holy church. Maybe we should say the holy church, but we just say the church itself. And so the creed goes like this, and you've heard it before. I believe in God Almighty, God the Father, and Christ Jesus, His only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Holy Spirit, of the Virgin Mary, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, was buried, and on the third day rose again, ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and dead, and in the Holy Spirit, the whole, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the remission of sins, the resurrection of life, and of life everlasting." That's the creed that we present today. That's the statement of confession of what it is that we believe are the tenets of our faith, the non-negotiables of our faith. And we uh, read that sometimes here in our church, as many other churches do. But where does that come from? Why do we make that declaration? Why are we establishing that as the center and the epic of our faith? Because that is the rock for which our church is built on. Matter of fact, Jesus' destiny is described here in this passage that we'll read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20. Matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 14, Herod begins that chapter saying, Who is this Jesus? Is he John the Baptist come back from the dead? And many were saying, is he one of the prophets who's come from the dead? Because there were certain sects of Judaism that believe and taught that those who are most righteous will come before the general resurrection when everybody else comes. So there was a belief that um, some of the most righteous, maybe some of the prophets, will be resurrected. They will come back. And so many are asking, could this be one of the prophets? And there's the debate going on. And so that's kind of the background for this text. And we come to verse 13. And by the way, uh, there's already been a proclamation in John chapter 1 by by Nathaniel, that Jesus Christ is the Lord. We also see Peter making a proclamation, as well as some of the other disciples in Matthew chapter 14. But this is the first time that Jesus asked for it. Jesus asked the question. Let's see what he says right here in Matthew chapter 16, beginning with the 13th verse. And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do men say that I am? I know I've been overhearing some of the discussions, some of the debates. I know you've been asked the questions. I know people are making uh, projections or they're making uh, recommendations to who they think that I am. But they replied, some say John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. You know, it was prophesied in Malachi that one would come. Preaching repentance. Now, we believe that to be John the Baptist. And some thought Jesus must be that reincarnation, so to speak, of Elijah or the second coming of Elijah, as some believed. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, one of the holy men. 
But what about you? Jesus said, what about you? What is it that you believe? Who do you think that I am? Forget, forget what your neighbors say. Forget what your mama says. Who do you think I am? And this is what Peter says. You are the Christ. You're the one for which we have longed, from which the prophecies are true. You're the son of the living God. You are the deity. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. This is spiritual insight that you've been given. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I tell you, you are Peter. Now, remember this, that if you saw the passion of the Christ, the language that was spoken, the everyday language that was spoken on the streets, Jesus primarily used this language. We know the disciples used this language. It was called Aramaic. Um, and it was... Uh, it was kind of an, an offshoot of, of Hebrew. It was a very modern form of Hebrew that incorporated some of the other words of the dialects that were used that day. But that was the primary language that was used. And then we took, our scholars took the Aramaic, and when they wrote the New Testament, they wrote it in Greek. And then from Greek, we interpreted it into English. So we're kind of twice removed from its original spoken context, Okay. So in Aramaic, if you go back and you look, which is true for Greek for us too, there aren't the really the equivalent words that really communicate to us like we would under, would like to understand. So when you see that word Peter, there's a little play on words in the Aramaic. It's it's a some have called it Petros, a little stone, but really it, it literally means a detached stone. It, it's like you go to a mountain and there's a there's a rock that you pick up off of that mountain. And it's just a, a detached stone. It's a piece of that mountain, but it certainly would not be the mountain. You wouldn't take that stone. I got the mountain right here. I got Mount Everest right here. I'd like to show you, I got it in my pocket. Okay? It's just a piece of it. It's a detached stone from the mountain. And that's really the bedrock, the term that's being used here. He says, I tell you, Peter or Petros, detached stone, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. So what what is he talking about, this rock? What is this rock? And there's three interpretations on this. First of all, there are those who say, oh, he's talking about Peter. He will be the, the first leader of the church, and that he's building this church upon Peter. Some Some would say that. Others would say he's talking about the confession itself, the confession that Peter makes. He's just made a confession. He just said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's the confession that he's making uh, recognition of. But yet there's a third opinion, which is this, that Jesus, upon this rock, I am the rock. I will build my church. And notice he says my church. And why do I believe that um, it, you can probably make an argument for all three, but I believe the primary answer would be the third. Now, why is that? Well, if we go back and we look at certain scriptures, uh, to begin with, Matthew 21, 42, which comes after this, Jesus says, Have you not read the Scriptures? The stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and this is marvelous in your eyes. He said, The stone, speaking of himself. Acts chapter 4, verse 10 through 11. Then know this, you, all people of Israel, 
It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone, your builder's rejection, which has become the chief cornerstone in um, the book of Ephesians. The Bible tells us, consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God and people of the household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, in, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. There are other scriptures that tell us, uh, that speak of Jesus as the cornerstone. We see it in the Old Testament, in Isaiah. We see it uh, in Psalms. And then we see it in the Gospels. And then we see it all throughout Paul's letters. So it stands to reason, I don't think we can deny the fact that Jesus is the rock, that he is the chief cornerstone. And our confession of him uh, is the creed in which we ascribe to, in which we recognize who he is. And the Bible says, that the gates of Hades will not overcome this. That death itself will not overcome this. There's nothing will overcome this statement. Nothing will overcome my church. Matter of fact, if you see earlier, he says, on this rock, I'll build my church. Now, there were other churches going on. Uh, you know, the Greeks had churches. They had assemblies that met together. Uh, certainly other religions did. The Jews had assemblies that would come together. But Jesus says, I'm now building my church. And you've seen a lot of churches come and go. You've seen a lot of organizations come and go. But I want to tell you that death itself, although you will see my followers martyred and killed and murdered, though you will see great oppression come, though you will see those who seek to exterminate Christianity, it will not happen. For I am building my church and it will be eternal. It will be permanent. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, what does that mean? I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Well, that was a very common expression for the rabbis in Jesus' day. They would use this term, binding and loosing. Okay, And they would use it in multiple ways, particularly in the matter of theology or in the matter of faith. Some people would be bound because of certain actions they had taken or because of certain belief systems they had. They would be bound or because of who they were, because maybe they were a people group. Maybe they were Samaritans and you are bound. In other words, you are bound from being apart. You are placed aside. You are wrapped up in uh, kind of your stuff, and you're not going to be able to get in. The message of Christ or the message, excuse me, of God is is not for you because of your background, because of your past, because of your nationality. But what we will see through Jesus' proclamation and even through Peter himself, what does he do? He goes and begins to preach the message of Christ and of his salvation to the Gentiles, to the Samaritans, to all who will hear it, to the Romans, to the oppressors. That message is loose. You are loosed. You may have thought you were in bondage. You may have been told that you were excluded. But you are loose through the message of the gospel. You are being made free. So here's the text of which we rest upon. 114 times we find the word church mentioned in the New Testament. 
90 of those times, it is in regards to the local assembly, as just much like we are. So we know this is something that is ordained by God. So when people say, why, why, why church? Why organize religion? I met with a guy last week, matter of fact, in our Hands Cross community. We began to visit, began to talk, and he goes, you know, I don't do church. I, I don't do any kind of church or any kind of organized church. I just don't believe in it. Don't like it. I said, well, tell me, tell me why not. He goes, well, when I was younger, I had an experience at church. And somebody... I just had a bad experience, and I, just, I decided I'm not going back. I said, well, what was it? What happened? He goes, I don't even remember what it was. I have no idea what it was, but I made promise I was never going back. So you don't have any idea. What, nope, don't, I don't care. It doesn't even matter what it was. We talked a little more, and um, he shared with me he, one of his relatives. He only had one living relative. No, I don't talk to them anymore. I said, so have you thought about forget? Nope, not forget them. Don't want to. I was just thinking, you got a sad life. You know what I mean? You are... Bound. You are in bondage. You don't want to forgive. You don't want to open up. You want to just hold on. And this is the way that you're going to live the rest of your life out. And Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. That we might be free from the bondage of sin. But he was wrapped up. As I shared the gospel, he said, well, I hope all that's true. You know, as I kind of went through the gospel with him. But it was just a, a sad picture of what it looks like. When we choose to go our own way, when we choose not to receive the grace and the forgiveness, not to choose what Christ has done for us, and we decide that this is the way life's supposed to be, and we're in that bondage. Jesus came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. So we see a declaration that is given here by Christ Jesus, our Lord. And first of all, we see the nature of Christ. The nature of Christ. Who is he? Jesus says, he goes, I am the way, truth, and the life. He tells us in John 14, 6. And no one comes to the Father but by me. In this declaration right here, we see that Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. You are the one in whom our hopes and all of our dreams rest. You are the method of our salvation. You are the Christ, the Son of God. He declares his nature. Number two, he declares a message that it's individual. Individual. It's not, it's not just a corporate faith. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter if you were raised as a Jew. It doesn't matter if you were raised as a Samaritan. It doesn't matter how you've grown up. It doesn't matter what temple you went to when you were a child. This is an individual message to you. It's being given to Peter and to the disciples. And from this point on, you don't need to wonder if this is corporate. Is this just for the Jews? This is a message for everyone. It doesn't matter what denomination you grew up in. It doesn't matter if you didn't have a faith. It doesn't matter what you've done. Here's some good news. All are welcome. And we know through Peter and Paul, the message is opened up to everyone. And it's preached. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So today, the message of Christ is individually to you. Jesus says, my church is anyone who will come to me and believe and receive of my grace and forgiveness. So quit telling me what, how you were raised, what background you were, what experience you had when you were a kid, when somebody made you mad. I don't care. Here's what it's about. It's about you and your faith. What do you believe about me? Who do you say that I am? Would you receive me and become a part of my church? Now, there's two aspects of the church. We talked about how 90 different instances is talking about a local church. But the rest of those, the other 24, are talking about the church universal. Those who have trusted Christ and are part of the kingdom, part of the body of Christ. 
That's what the church is. It's the church universal, not the universalism, okay? So don't get mistaken with that. There's a lot about going on about universalism, but it's the church universal, all those who've trusted Christ, and then the local assembly. It's the way Jesus set it up. That's the way we see the apostles operating. Number two, or excuse me, number three, it's meant this declaration is to be personal, but not private. It's personal because it's to the individual, but it was never meant to be private. You know, that's a big buzzword in our church, in our culture today. I believe that's fine to have your religion. Just keep that to yourself. I don't want to hear about it. I don't think anybody knows, needs to know it. Faith is meant to be private. So we don't talk about that. We don't talk about religion. Just don't do it. It's just a bad idea, I tell you. Just don't ever bring that up. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, 20, when he said to go and to make disciples. I'm not saying that we need to stand on the corner and, and get a bullhorn and tell everybody that the world's ending yesterday. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But I'm saying we talk about our faith. When the opportunity arises, when people give us open the door, when the Holy Spirit opens the door, that we're willing to share the good news of what Jesus has done in our life. It was never meant to be private. That is a cultural fallacy. It was always meant to be something that was shared. That's why we had baptism. That's why people were martyred for their faith. It's not because they go, well, I'm not saying nothing. It's because they openly proclaimed Christ. That's why people, people aren't martyred when they keep their mouth shut and it's all private. That's fine. You believe whatever you want. Just keep your mouth shut. Don't ever talk about it. Don't ever mention it. Just make denials. But it was always meant to be public. Fourthly, exclusive. Oh, here's a word that's not fun. It was exclusive. What do I mean by that? That Christ was exclusive. That it's only through Christ. It's not through Buddha. It's not through Zen. It's not through Muhammad. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And, and, and I know there are Christian books even out today that taught that concept of universalism. That, hey, you know what? Everybody will just get there. It'll all be fine. Doesn't matter what you believe. Doesn't matter what you do. At the end of the road, it just won't matter. Okay? Just Jesus, Jesus loves the little children and you too. Let's just go. Alright? But that's, that's not what Jesus said. That would, that, that'd be easy if that's what he said, but he didn't say that. He said the antithesis of that. He said, I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. And that's why Jesus in this one instance says, who do men say that I am? Well, let me ask you a question. That's great. What they said, it's not right. They're missing it. Who do you say that I am? Individually. What do you say? Not what does your mama say? Not what does your grandpa say? Not what church did your grandparents go to? Uh, not what, what you did, what vacation Bible school you went to? What do you say? Where are you? Who do men say them? Who do you say that I am? Do you recognize that it is only through me? I'm the only one that ever came and lived a perfect life. I'm the only one who went to the cross and died willingly. My blood is the only blood that can be applied to your account and your sins be forgiven. Because the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is only through me. The world today wants to tame that message on it. We want to tame it. We want to say, well, you know what? That's our way, but there's lots of other ways. So we want to tame it. It's called pluralism. And we just want to take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Or syncretism is another term that's used for it. Let's just incorporate it all and just make your own faith like you're making a sandwich. You know, and just make it like you want it. The, the problem with that is you've just made your own God. You've made your own religion. Number two, 
you know what, let's just change the message. Because that's not really palatable. When you talk about Jesus being the only way, that's not really good. And you start this whole thing about sin, that we're all sinners and we all need to be forgiven. That's just, that doesn't sell so good. So let's do it this way. Let's do it. You know what? Jesus can help you get what you want. You need money? He's got it. You need help? He's got it. Jesus will get you what you want. He'll get you where you want to be going. And so we just begin to change it. And Jesus just becomes, you know, the big Tony Robbins self-help man. Okay? And that's what he's here to do for you. To help you get what you want. But Jesus actually came to help you with what you need. Okay? And just, i.e., see our children. If we give them everything that I want, how's that work? Not, not, not so well. If you're doing that, stop. Okay? Uh, we want to do what they need, not what they want. Number three, defame the message. So, what does that mean? You know what? I'm not going to accept that. I want you to shut up. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to listen to that. And uh, I'd really, I'd really prefer that never come up again. Does that have to be on our TV? Does that have to be on our radio? Do you really have to put things on your car? Do you really have to talk about your faith? I, you know what? I just, I hate that. It just drives me crazy, I tell you. And so we want to defame it and say, that's not true. Those claims are not true. That's just a lie. I saw it on Brad Pitt on, on, the, on Entertainment Tonight. I'm telling you, I know that's not true. And we start to defame the message. The truth of it is, it's a message of permanence. The Bible tells us here in Matthew chapter 16, I will give you the kings of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on heaven will be loosed in heaven. And this is going to be a message of permanence or continual. It will not be able to be stamped out. Augustine said it this way, or Augustine, depending on how you were educated. Uh, he said, you know, it's really marvelous when you stop and think that the church still exists today. He said it had every reason to fall. The persecution that people encountered of death and torture. The status of the followers who many of them were ignorant and many of them were poor. Most of them were poor and many of them were slaves. The nature of the message, the cross, that you've got to come to the cross for salvation. Now, that was a real winner. That was one everybody wanted to sign up for. In 70 AD, the temples completely wiped off the face of the earth. The Romans completely dismantled it and it's gone. The holy city's gone. Many of them were Jewish converts who were still worshiping through the temple. It's gone. The message, the man is a sinner and cannot save himself. That nah, wasn't a good message, and that's still not a popular message today. You know, I can save myself. I am good enough. I think I can do this. And the Bible says, no, you told the private, you can't save yourself. You have no merit of your own. It's only because of what Jesus has done, and you just simply have to confess your need for him and receive his grace and forgiveness. We look at modern history. We see the rise of literary criticism. The Jefferson Bible, it takes the Bible and says, okay, we're just going to take out all the miracles and all the things that we don't really like and just mark those out and then we'll give the, a very palatable version of the Bible. Or how about this? How about the biological science of interpreting Scripture that seek to say, you know what? It was just random chance that the earth evolved. It was no creation factor involved here. Because if we can say this is simply random, it was simply something that just came about uh, through chemicals and enzymes and through time, and it just all kind of created on its own, 
then if we can do that, we can say, well, then there's no creation story. And if there's no creation, then there's no fall. There's no sin that came about. And if there's no fall, what do we need a Savior for? There's no Savior. We don't even need a New Testament. So it's all irrelevant. But yet the church prevails. Yet when you look worldwide, more people are coming to Christ each day than any other time in history. It's amazing. We don't get to see it as much in our Western Hemisphere because we're flat. And because we got so much stuff. And because we're not like the persecuted Christians, because our faith has become something that's very palatable, and I just make this private. And we've kind of adopted the cultural rendition of how we think things are going to be. But when you go to China, and you see the revivals, and you see that as many as 20,000 people every day are coming to Christ. When you see it in Africa, as people are pouring into churches and finding Christ as their Savior. You look in South America and we look around the world and we see what's happening. And that song that we sang, which we think is cute, the real truth of it is it's happening. People are professing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior every day. You know, the good news for us, finally, this statistic just came out. For the first time in our, our modern evangelical history, I'm talking about in the last 30 years, we are planting now, evangelical churches, we're now planting more churches than churches that are closing. That's just happened. For the last 30 years, we've had more churches closing every day than opening. We just now have caught up, and now we're opening as many churches that are closing through church planting. And people say, why do we plant church? Why have we been a part of eight church plants in eight years? You know why? Because there were eight churches that closed every one of those that we opened. And we're now about to turn the tide where we're going to be planting more churches than are actually being closed. And we're talking about the United States. Okay? Talking about the United States itself. So, here's the deal. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that Christ is? What is the purpose of the church? Well, first of all, it's this. It's, it's his church. This is my church. Jesus says, this is the church I'm creating. And it's meant to be the believers coming together. We see it 90 different times. They're coming together in local fellowship to give worship, to give praise, to give service, to learn, to be educated, to pray, to give, to share, and then to go out in the world and take the message of Christ to all who will receive. That's the purpose. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he gave his life. That's why he was resurrected. And that's why he still calls us today. What about you? Number one, have you ever trusted him as your Savior and received his grace and forgiveness? Number two, are you a part of a local church? You might be saying, well, I don't want to come here. Well, that's fine. Find a place and, and join. And, and can I say this? I didn't do this last service. Find a place and stay there for a while, okay? Just find a church and stay there because I promise you if you stay here long enough, somebody's going to make you mad. Probably me. Somebody's going to do something that you don't like. But let's just recognize this ain't, this ain't J.C. Penney, okay? Uh, this is not where we're We come together and we're coming to bond together as a group of believers and we're going to be messy. I'm going to I'm going to grammatically say things incorrect. I'm going to say things that are offensive. You're going to misunderstand things that I say. Sometimes our music's going to hurt your ears. Sometimes our kids are going to not like your kids. You know what? That's just part of it. 
Hey, we're all fallen and sinful until we get to heaven. That's the way it's going to be. If you go to another church, it don't happen there unless you close your eyes and put your fingers in your ears. Okay? So, it's about Jesus. It ain't about you. Okay? And Jesus died for the church, so I think he had a high premium on it. So, it's time for us to just come together. And again, if it's not here, find the place you want to be and just stay there. Okay? Because people keep saying Jesus is coming soon, and one day one of them are going to be right. So, all right? I don't want to be on the way. I don't want to be stopped at a Starbucks on Sunday morning when Jesus comes trying to figure out what church I'm going to that day. All right? All right. It's time to pray. Before you forget the whole message here, before we pray, I want us to recite this confession together. All right? Let's do our confession as we talk about. If you would recite this with me. I believe in God. The Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church, the communion of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and of life everlasting. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have created the institution of the church, that you have created the church universal, which is all of us who are believers, whether we be in Africa or China or South America or the United States. When you look, you see your body. But Lord, you also created local assemblies by which we might come together to grow, to break bread in communion, to see people come to Christ, to see them baptized. Lord, to hear the word and to grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of our faith, to serve our brothers and sisters. And as you say in Psalms 22, to come together in the assembly and bring praises to your name, to worship you and to bring you glory, for which is the primary purpose for which we were created. How can we do that individually apart from you, Lord, apart from your body? And so, God, we ask that we make a renewal of commitment to you, O oh God, and to your church to be a vital cog to see change and transformation come about as we proclaim the goodness of our Lord and King, our Savior, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, in whom we live and breathe and have our purpose and have our being. And we give you praise this day. And Lord, if there's one that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you draw them by the power of your Spirit this day, that they might come to know you as their Savior. Lord, if there are those who are debating whether they need to be a part of our church or another, Lord, I pray that today that you would confirm upon them that to now is the day, the time to get in the game and to become a part of the body of Christ and to begin to make impact as they serve, as they give, as they share, and as they grow so that, Lord, you might be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray all of these things. Amen.